Finding the right ways to cope with depression, anxiety, or any mental health issue can be tough, even if you're a grown-up with access to every available resource out there. For a teenager without a support system at home, this becomes virtually impossible. On today's episode of our Radio 101 series, Dispatches from Within, youth reporters Chloe Patterson, Shailene Sebastian, and Bailey Wickline bring us the story of a 16-year-old who found herself looking for a way out of her problems in the wrong place. Before we begin, you should know that this story contains explicit references to underage drinking and substance misuse. Okay, uh, let's just get into it. Um, okay. So, what's your name? To protect her privacy, we're going to call her M. So, M struggled with her mental health most of her life. If you look at it, at like the good stuff, it looks like, you know, I just had a basic childhood. But like, it's one of those things where if you look deeper in, it just wasn't the greatest because of the type of environment I was in. She grew up with an abusive stepfather, was bullied, and had to switch schools a lot. It was a lot of my mental health affecting my performance abilities in school. And then a lot of my depression made it hard for me to be motivated to even get out of bed some days to get to school. In October of 2020, M changed schools once again. She went to the special place for kids like her that would struggle in bigger environments. And it was there that she met a friend. We'll call her Kay. At first, it started with just her maybe giving me a ride home every now and then. And then we started, you know, to hang out after school before she took me home. And then it came to a point where we were, like, inseparable. We were attached at the hip. You never really saw us apart. At one point, I even moved in with her. They would do everything together. Spending time with Kay was an escape from the issues at home and the struggles with depression. But things quickly started to take a turn. We would usually, like, get high, get food, and then spend the day high. Or we would, you know, just being, just doing different things, hanging out with different people. Um, and then eventually we would, depending on the night, it would be where we would go to someone's house and get drunk and party until like 2 a.m. It's easier to drink and forget than to deal with your problems. And I'm not going to lie, that's how it was in the beginning. It was great. It felt amazing. It was so nice not have to deal with that type of stuff. But God, it gets to you fast. Like, after a while, it starts to hit you harder. And then, you know, the addiction type part starts rolling, like where it's like, it's mid-afternoon, but I need a beer. You know, you build up a tolerance to those types of things, and that's how an addiction settles in. And so it's like the more tolerant I got, the more I smoked, the more I drank. M was 16 at the time. And this is important, not just because we're talking about underage drinking, but because the substance use was another indicator of something far darker happening to M. So there's something that's called adverse childhood experiences. Dr. Wanda Boone is the executive director of Together for Resilient Youth, a nonprofit organization that works to address the underlying causes of substance misuse. And what I find most often is that the adults that should have been paying attention, that should have cared, that have the capacity to do so, 
perhaps didn't. And those adverse childhood experiences she's talking about are things like emotional, physical, or sexual abuse, neglect, bullying, witnessing a traumatic event, the incarceration of family members, divorce, or history of mental illnesses, just to name a few. But if someone has four or more before their 18th birthday, then you can understand what a devastating impact that has. The mind forgets, but the body remembers. For M, the consequences of her adverse childhood experiences would become clear one night that changed everything. So, one night, M and K decide to go to a party. It was my one of my guy best friend's graduation, so it was all like really loud Hispanic music. We're hanging out, him and I are chilling, and him and I were really close, so we were just chilling in the living room, hanging out. He was drinking already, um, and there was this new type of beer that he was trying, and he wanted me to try it. And I was like, okay, cool, you know, I'll give it a try. I thought it was revolting. I thought it was disgusting, worst thing I ever tasted. But he, like, challenged me or, like, provoked me to make me think. And he, him just basically going, like, oh, you can't drink it. You can't do it. You know, I bet you can't. And so, you know, then I took it as a challenge. I started drinking. And one drink led to another and another. You know, started dancing, doing this, this, and this. And so I was, like, taking off my clothes. I was just running, like, dancing around in a sports bra and a pair of shorts. And then the last thing I really remember happening before, you know, I kind of blacked out, I, um, I remember just not feeling well. And I remember kind of just wanting to get out of there. The rest of the night was a blur until... I was just chilling. I was doing some homework, watching TV, one of the two. And that's when I started to receive the text messages. And so it really caught me off guard. Kay had filmed M and shared the video on Snapchat. People started to scream record it and pass it around. Even people that M didn't know that well started to reach out to her, asking if she was the one in the video. To know that other people saw me like that. Like, not only at the party, but other people that weren't even there had the chance to see me like that. And the fact that I didn't even, I don't, I still don't even know how many people saw it or if other people sent it to other people and the videos still out there. It's just really, it just was really, really embarrassing to see that that type of thing of me was out there on the internet. After the video surfaced, M decided that something needed to change. And here we do need to make a note. M did not seek professional help. She decided to stop on her own, and while she is among the thousands of teenagers that while struggling, they decide not to seek treatment, this is not what experts recommend. Addiction is a brain disease. That's Dr. Boone again. Rather than desiring um, relationship, food, work, play, drugs take overtake the brain's desire for any of those things, which is why... You know, people act the way they do when they're addicted, don't want, you know, don't want to do anything, but it's not them. It's the takeover of the substance um, uh, in the brain. So, no, it, it's not that easy if someone is addicted. M, however, is doing better. Her days of binge drinking as a way to avoid her problems seem to be behind her. I'm doing a lot better. I, I think it's been like a month since I've had a single drink, but I'm working my way through it. 
there's there's a lot of things I would have told my younger self. You are the only one who can decide who you are and what you're going to do about things and what you're going to do to yourself, to others, and just in life. You are the person at the end of the day who makes your own choices. So don't let others influence your choices or, you know, put you down or tell you who you have to be. This story was produced by Chloe Patterson, Bailey Wickline, and me, Shailen Sebastian, and it's part of the 88.5 WFDD's Radio 101 series on youth mental health. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's a free 24-hour hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. Radio 101 is made possible in part by a generous contribution from Woody Kleiner. This story was produced as part of a four-credit class at R.J. Reynolds High School in Winston-Salem. The music for this show was composed by Alan Poltorak. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions.